And we are back. Thank you for joining us for another day of the Daily Dots. And uh, joined with the Brain Trust, Mr. Chase Taylor. He's already shaking his head. We're, we're, I'm just laughing myself, too. This is just, I feel like this day, if you wanted to sum up this year in a day, I feel like this day would do it. You got the NASDAQ. We're going to close in. We'll, go, we'll walk through the indexes here. We have got the... Uh, we're three minutes before the close as we record here. Yeah. and Which might mean a lot, actually. Uh, and yeah, in the last 25 minutes, the Dow has ripped almost 300 points to the upside. Um, why is my screen? I hate my computer. Uh, okay. So Dow is up 512 points as the 10 year yield pops 10 basis points and the dollars up almost 1%. That's good for industrials somehow. Yeah. But they, they snuck some tech in there in the last few years. Remember the old switcheroo when they took out, uh, I can't remember which dog they put in when they took out Exxon, but. They got some tech in there. No, it's just amazing. And I know it's all about it flows and we've talked about all this and all that. It's just, it, it really is amazing to me to see how bifurcated this market has become from reality. Now, again, it's just one day and you can't over respond, but we, you're sitting there literally watching economic factors that guarantee the average company on that index will do worse after today's data. You know what I mean? Like, Meaning interest rates are higher, dollar is higher, that is not good, and the Dow just loves it now all of a sudden. You know, I you can't even follow a narrative anymore. It's It really is like stocks have been completely divorced from the underlying economy. And they have to a degree. Like yeah, They said. absolutely have. Yeah. It's, it's a machine. It's more about the, the mechanics of the machine than it is the underlying realities. And that's always been the case to some degree. It's just never been the case this much. Yeah, not not even close for sure. I mean, the 401k IRA, you know, machine that we built is a monster. And I mean, you just look at the spread too, and you're seeing more and more of these days. And I have no idea what it means. I mean, to me, it looks like a market that is maybe starting to figure out it's ridiculous, but you're seeing these spreads on the major indexes at an increasingly, an increasingly wide delta between them and it happening on a more and more frequent basis, Right. Like a rates up day used to be the queues outperform and industrials are getting killed. I mean, and, and then it switched back and forth. I can't even follow the narrative anymore, but you see the dollar up the way it is and you're sitting there going, how dollar and rates up is good for industrials? <laughs> okay. All right. And small caps. But <laughs> IWM doesn't like those things, right? Russell 2000 doesn't like them. I just, it, you just, it just doesn't matter. Uh, what do we have on earnings, CRM? I, I probably shouldn't even be the one to talk about CRM because I think that company's a joke. Salesforce. We're at, the, we're at the very tail end of earnings. I haven't even paid attention this week. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, that's another one. I sit there and look at Salesforce. It's a roll-up. They've never been able to produce profit that justifies their their multiple. Right? Law of large numbers kicking in. Growth rate slowing down. The thing trading at 160 times earnings and almost 10 times revenue. Eight times revenue. For a roll-up for a CRM, it's up nine percent today. You said you shouldn't talk about that one, but I, I literally shouldn't because I've never done one minute of work on it. I just deplore Benioff. I think he's a duplicitous idiot, and I think that he's uh, the ultimate gamer when it comes to playing earnings. And I think he's like the godfather of adjusted BS self-contrived metrics. 
and Wall Street just eats it up. And yet his company has never managed to produce anywhere the level of cash flow they've ever said. And the market just doesn't hold them accountable. You know what I mean? Like you look at a company trading like that. Like that's one of the things that cracks me up in this market. How in the world? Let's pull that one up. I want to look at that right now. When you look at their whole stated business plan, right, which is just buying up companies, buying – they've got to buy their revenue growth, okay? And you look at – this thing is trading at virtually the same levels it was at the end of 2021 with rates at 0%. They have to buy – their whole thing is they have to buy revenue growth. How in the world is that company worth the same it was at the end of 2021 with a five and a half percent Fed funds rate as opposed to zero back then. I, it's, it's just not like, that's the most frustrating part about this market, right? As you go I, on an accounting financial basis, it's not even close. And yet the market's like, yeah, but we love it. It's CRM. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, like I said, I just, and I just don't think it's a great company. Um, which means you should probably get along because the thing's about <laughs> ready to rip. Um, what, what else? I, it's also funny to see industrials reacting the way they were to the economic news this morning. It wasn't deplorable, but again, uh, I'll let you walk us through the data. But to me, I continue to be amazed at the market clinging to this soft landing narrative when the data is so consistent. I mean, it's, it almost like you're reading the exact same release from every company reporting and every economic data piece that comes out. I mean, does it? Isn't it? I mean, it's just it's it's just a repeat. Yeah, I mean, we're clearly slowing. But the, the funny thing, though, is like on the soft landing, like part of that narrative is that you do slow down, but just enough to get the Fed to stop. It's like it's like they they think you're just going to get to like, oh, we're just roll up to three point nine percent on unemployment, and then it's just going to like stop, like and just respect your your wishes for the soft landing. Um, but like so far, you know, the data hasn't been bad enough to trample over that and make it clear that it's going to go past that um obviously you know i think it will but but on the day we had um continuing jobless claims just ripped to a new high it's a two-year high very close to a six-year high um it obviously x, x the covid just wildness but um so that that's very interesting to me we're and it's moving pretty rapidly all of a sudden um, we had personal income down month over month we had from they went from 0.3 to 0.2 um in growth personal spending was down a lot it went from 0.7 to 0.2 um core pce uh if you annualize the one month it's under two percent if you analyze the last three months it's at two and a half percent so and that's the fed's you know preferred measure of inflation and it's it's basically telling you over the last one three six months hey we're slowing big time and we're actually really low as of now um Home sales hit uh, an all-time low for existing home sales. That data only goes back a little, little over 20 years, but still, it's never been worse. Um, and then there was like one positive, and that was the Chicago PMI, which was like a, kind of a WTF piece of data today, a 13 standard deviation um, outperformance from the expectation of it. I don't really even know what to make of that. And it's like the the... Of all the PMIs, it's like the worst communicated one, the hardest to like really dig into. So I don't know what to make that other than I bet it is not that good next month. Well, but by the industrials. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's why everyone did. A good, <laughs> a good Chicago PMI. Maybe everyone's algo was tu tuned to that today. 
Oh my God. Only good news. It's there. It can only be good news that we will contort it to some way fitting that narrative. And the interesting thing to me about all the buying is, uh, you know, we have Powell talking to, I think twice tomorrow. So you, you kind of run the risk if you're too long of him, him saying something that, that upsets the apple cart a little bit. Not that I really expect that he will, but that possibility is there. Yeah, no, it is. And I, I, I think the possibility of anything's here at this point. I still think you look at this market and again, I, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm really torn right now. I mean, this feels to me like a level, I mean, all the bulls are out taught, like, you know, it's the new breakout, new bull market. You're seeing all the same headlines that happened the last time we were at this point. Yep. Right. And part of me is sitting there going, Nah, you're gonna. You're probably gonna turn around right here, back here, and and I think the pain trade from here actually is lower for the broader market. I mean, I think there's people getting squeezed on either side. But um, that being said, I I still think you know with flows as good as they are. <clears throat> I what wh- wh- what was that look about? Oh, sorry, just rip, ripping through charts here, and the, the silver, the silver monthly chart not only closed on a, a breakout. A, uh, above like the downtrend line that goes back to 2011, but also the uh, horizontal line that we have we had marked out and talked about. So both gold and silver, um, their monthly candles today closed out at what I view as a major breakout. Yeah, and I think I think that I think that people. Well, I I, I don't know if a lot of people are doing this, but I've heard this comment several times regarding the the because you got both gold and silver. Where did we finish the day on gold? Uh, down a, like half a percent, I think. But what's the number? What it close out and out? Right, here, let me look. Uh, while he's while he's looking that up, gold futures at at twenty fifty five. So holding above twenty fifty, that's kind of the mar- the magic yeah. line in the sand there. And then silver closed at twenty five sixty six. I think a lot of people are misreading this. I think people are saying that I've heard people saying that that gold and silver breaking out fit the bullish economic narrative. I don't think that's it at all. I actually think if the breakout in gold and silver are real. To me, it says you're looking at negative real rates. Yeah, that real rates are going to make their climb back down. Which I, you know, that they, I, I'm not saying that's, that's what's going to happen, but yeah, but I, central banks are going to keep buying it. Yeah, central banks are going to keep buying it. The other thing is, I think that you have a potential setup where you've got negative real rates. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, I, I think it's a, I think it's a requirement of the, of the fiscal situation. Yeah, and I mean, you know, where you get, I mean, let's say you don't even go into negative growth, but if you're still running at three percent CPI and one percent growth, gold loves that environment for sure. You know, so I, I, I continue to look at how the market's putting a positive spin on everything coming out, and it's, and again, I, I, I don't think the market action we've seen over the last two months is, has anything fundamental to do with it. I think it's a lot of ginned up retail traders. I think it's flows. I think it's seasonal flows. I think it's liquidity. I think it's all those things. Yep. But it is still fascinating to watch how far the market is willing to pivot away from, you know, I, for instance, and people are like, well, how can you say you don't know the future? And I go, the market is supposed to be a discounting mechanism, right? It is not discounting anything anymore. Other than a soft landing, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, even even then, if, you, if even if you're here's the thing I don't understand. Even then, when you look at where wages are, when you look at where rates are still going to be higher than they were, you go through all the different numbers. If growth growth slows down to where you get a soft landing, how in the world do you expect to throw up? I mean, look at the earnings that you've produced this year with nominal growth rates of five percent or greater. Yeah, people right? people just consistently forget that. Inflation helps, you know, top line a lot. 
Yeah. And you're like, okay, if your whole thing is, if you're not, if you're not getting any meaningful earnings growth this year, especially adjusted for inflation, and you think growth is going to weaken next year, how are you getting 11% earnings growth next year? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's odd to me too. Yeah. It's just, I, I'll keep going back to it. I, what, what's interesting to me is that we've seen the earnings, all the earnings guesses for 2024 just continue to get marked down, marked down, marked down, marked down. And, and the, the market, market, yeah, just ignores it. So it's just like a, a forward PE expansion throughout. Because I, I feel like if if stocks are going down right now, the narrative would comfortably be, well, you're marking down next year's earnings. And so, of course, market's down. Yeah, we're well, just everyone's just ignoring it because the market, you know, price doesn't care. So why should anyone look into a reason for it? Yeah, here's and I'm not predicting this at all, but you and I have talked about this for a long time. I can't help but to fight. Now, this is a guy I've got, and I got no problem admitting this. I've got burns. I got singe marks on my hands from owning volatility this year. Not the whole time, but I think it was by far my biggest losing position on the year. Um, I'll tell you, you look at this setup and I got no opinions on when it pays, but being able to buy vol here at 12 and a half, I... Man, that's that is that looks extraordinarily attractive. I I think you're going to have to hold it for a little while. I, I think that you're going to feel some theta pain, sure, uh, over the next month, month and a half. But you and I talk about it, and when I see this disparate movement, when I see a market that gets where where the delta between the performance of the indexes gets wider, when the day to day machinations get stranger and you know, this is up more than normal and this is down more, right? The more, the more, and then I'm looking at vol, a market that is looking incre- increasingly unstable and increasingly ununiform. And then I look at vol trading at this level. You and I have talked about it. It's not a prediction, but I do think it's something that people need to be aware of. I think that you have an environment where some very nasty short-term market action could, could, could take place, you know, like a, like a big flush. Yeah. Right. I think the structure we, we've talked about this a lot, but I, I do think the structure we've built is one that opens you up to that. It takes a lot to push you over that that edge, but that edge is high. Yeah, in all ways. I mean, it, technically, it's extended valuations. Obviously, we've covered that. The same flows that make things so crazy now are the same ones that you know can <laughs> remove thirty percent from the market in a week just yeah. because of the structure. Yeah. Yeah, well, and then like I said, you know, I, I, it's the, well, that's a great way to put it. The flows are your friend. You know, one of the reasons that passive is so powerful is so much active money has gone over that, right? So even though the active money might sell, the underlying flows take over. Well, problem is, like you were saying, one of the reasons that you could get such a big down move is, and, and even to the point where it gets overextended fundamentally. Yeah. Is the flip side of that argument is you don't have enough active value guys to 100%. step in there and yeah. stop the freight train. There's no market maker to buy. Right. Um, yeah, because you're going to get <laughs> evolve control, CTAs, you know, all of the big annuities that are tied to evolve control. You're going to get um, obviously the the handful of uh, you pick an algorithm or uh, um, or any sort of high frequency, like in, in basically. Every single thing that is in any way systematic will have a trigger to say sell. So you just get into a p- situation where everyone gets a sell a sell signal and they just keep trying to sell it to each other and there's just nothing to stop it except for circuit breakers. 
but like you say, I mean, that's the beauty of that is the opportunity on, on the downside. Cause it would just violently, you know, go, go way too far to the downside and create some unbelievable opportunities. Yeah. It's, it's <clears throat> those liquidity events that seem to come like every five years, something like that, I would say. Um, and you know, obviously in 2020 we had a, a, a really good one. I mean, just where everyone was selling and just freaking out and you had some stuff just you you can go back and look at the charts now and just see some of the crazy spike lows on some stuff and you're just like wow it did that yeah and yeah to me that's that's why we you know for us like we build the shopping cart portfolio to say here's everything we would love to own you know 20 30 plus percent lower than where we are today if we if we had some just bananas you know week where yeah you had that kind of stuff happen to be prepared for it yeah run the fire drill yep no, it's, it's, yeah, I, the other thing, like I said, and look, I'm not telling you, especially if you don't have any, especially if you don't have any experience doing it, I'm not telling you to go out there and get a long ball. What I am saying is that especially, and I think the reason it's so attractive is because you can hedge out a lot with very little, you know what I mean? Especially yeah, exactly. when you're this compressed, yeah. right? Like, you know. I thought there were several times where buying vol at 17, 18, 19 this year was attractive. Okay. But you're exponentially more attractive at this level and you're all more overextended on the stock side. If any of those events that we're talking about happen, I mean, you could see a vol spike to 40 in two trading sessions. Yeah. I mean, realistically. Yep. And, uh, well, we're, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking my book cause we're tipping our toes back into that, uh, that, that world too. And like I said, I, I think uh, I, I think the I think the name of the game is sitting here. I, I will continue to stick to my guns. I don't think it makes any sense watching any other index other than Nasdaq. I think it's it, it's it's the black hole of indexes indices, right? Like it's just, it's going to suck everything in. So Dow can do whatever it's want to me. I think that fourteen four five level on the Nasdaq is really really key. I think if we don't break through that at some point. I think we're probably heading back down to the lower end of the range. Yeah. I mean, from the chart perspective, that's, that's definitely, that definitely makes sense. It isn't a trap on, on for, at least for me. And I know you're less excited about this trade than I am, but <laughs> yeah. at least for me, I think this area is a very attractive area to, to hedge or to short the NASDAQ here. It is because you can keep a tight stop for sure. Yep. Yeah. Cause like we were Whether you like it or love it or hate it. Like it just, you close, reward works. Yeah. You close above 14, five and it's the technicals are telling you get the living heck out of the way. Right. right? So that's kind of my, you know, take that for what you will. That's kind of my approach. I love shorting from, um, I love being able to put on shorts at levels where we know where we're we're wrong real quick. Yep. Because it allows you to put on some size, yep. right? And to kind of play it as it goes and gives you some wiggle room. And if you're at it, you know, if a hedge costs you two and a half percent, you know, that's cheap insurance when you look at the, in, in, in my opinion, at this market, yeah. looking where volatility is trading, look at the fundamentals, looking at valuations, looking at economic indicators, that just seems like a very appealing risk reward level to short at. 100%. So anyway, those are our thoughts. Anything else with the folks? We got Powell speaking tomorrow. That's about it for the week. That and ISM tomorrow. The only other thing I'll say is OPEC kind of kind of came out with a deal today and then underwhelmed the market and oil didn't really appreciate it and fell. Um, they even had like all the individual members announce their own cuts instead of like, like giving you the whole thing at, at once. Um and it's pretty clear that a lot of it's paper cuts from, you know, from targets no one was going to hit anyway, stuff like that. So 
definitely underwhelming move from OPEC, which tells you, and they had to like reschedule this meeting over and over. So pretty clear that OPEC's done cutting. So like the, no one's riding to the rescue of oil. If we go into a recession from here, I don't, I don't think. And now we've got to the point where OPEC has so much spare capacity that it's gonna be hard for oil to have like a really good run for two, three years, just based on how much they can add back. So there's people out there making an argument. I don't want to extend this too long. You, we, you and I both have to get going here, but people are making the argument right now that you shouldn't look at the weakness. You're talking about oil. When I look at oil right now, it's really hard for me to conclude that there isn't demand weakness. Yeah. I, I've heard really smart guys. Warren no. Pies was making that argument. I, I didn't track it, but Warren's one of those guys that I'm not right. going to, I'm not going to go against him unless I've done my work, my research right. on it. But like we were talking about time spreads, everything, what OPEC is saying, I don't know how to look at it any other way than there's demand. And look, lower oil demand would make perfect – it would be perfectly aligned with all the stuff we're seeing in LEIs too. Yeah, exactly. I, to me, it's either pricing in current demand weakness or or maybe even like some to come. So. Yeah, well, we will have to wait and see, but we will be back tomorrow. Well, no, we don't do it tomorrow because we do the show, and we'll give you effectively the dots during the show tomorrow. And I think we're going to have you on for a segment as well tomorrow. We're going to dig into some more specific stuff on the macroeconomic side of things. So you won't want to miss that. Uh, until then, we'll see you tomorrow. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.